over the last three weeks, we, first week we talked about saving faith. And saving faith is simply at the end of the day, when you get to the other side and you encounter God, you're like, don't look at me, please look at Jesus. He died the death that I deserve. I, it's him, not me. I mean, you're confident in what Jesus did for you. That's faith. That's saving faith. Okay, then we talked about big faith. When you have faith for God to do something like utterly big and impossible in your life. And there's some people who've got some stories that we were talking in G-Town before when we uh, do the 20-minute worship before uh, Big Church. And uh, I was encouraged by the stories they were sharing about just God coming through and even times when God didn't come through. So I wanted to give you an opportunity right now. This is going to be rabbinical. Are there things you want to push back on? Questions you want to pose? Uh, stories you want to share? Again, I've got my part. I can, I can, I'm ready to go. But, you know, because we, we've been saying some things that might strike some of you as being almost just totally out there wacky, right? You know, you can actually count on God for something big to come through in your life. So do any of you want to ask anything, poke or prod? I know we don't do this all that often, but we're a church that encourages it. So questions, comments, go. Yeah? You hopped over the chair. Yeah. And you had said well, you had faith in the chair. Yeah. Well, last night we uh, ate at a Mexican restaurant, and it was very flimsy, and then my wife was like, have faith in this chair. So <laughs> <laughs> we, we made it through supper. Okay, the chair did not collapse. <laughs> it's awesome. There was a chair that didn't be down and hit stuff. There was a chair that I sat on and totally collapsed under me. So sometimes your faith can be misplaced if it's in the wrong, if the object of your faith is not able to bear. Yep. <laughs> Questions, pushbacks about this faith thing? Anyone else? What, a lot of people that I know talk about faith as just... They, they value it. The, the more you can just trust and not know, the higher degree of faith you had. You mentioned this, you know. If you can believe in something, the ultimate reality of faith is that if you can believe in something that you know doesn't exist, you have great faith. Right. Well, where's the difference in how much do you need to know in, like, where does it become reasonable to begin to say, okay, I know all I need to know. Now, I just have to, I just have to jump. Um, how much seeking should we be doing? How much of the learning should we be trying to make the effort for before we just say, okay, it's in God's hands? Okay. No, that's a good question. Um, oh, I forgot it's on. Um, for me, I'm one of those weird egghead guys, okay? So for me, this whole Jesus thing boils down to the resurrection, did this guy, Jesus, actually come back to life? I mean, did he, was he raised from the dead? Because if he wasn't raised from the dead, this is just like any other kind of social thing. It's nice to get together, but really, you know, this is all there is. Thanks for playing. Ding. You know, sayonara. And for me, looking at, when I look at the texts, the four Gospels, when I look at how they were reproduced and how many copies there are of them and how consistent they are in 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 what is written down. And then when I consider the fact that these men claim to have seen this guy who came back from the dead, 
I mean, there was the mob scene in Jerusalem. They nailed him to a cross. He was dead, period. I mean, dead. That's the whole spear in the side and water came out. The guy was dead on the cross. They put him in a tomb. And then these basically 500 people claim, oh, no, he didn't stay dead. He came back to life. And so they wrote about it. They told others about it. And many of those people were killed and tortured because of their claim. And my thing is, like C.S. Lewis, if these are guys are going to lie and make it up, why would you be willing to be tortured for something that's a lie? I mean, really, who does that? Um, and so uh, for those of you, when you're kind of thinking about God and this whole God thing and faith thing, isn't it true that there's, you, you're kind of kicking the tires about Christianity? I mean, how credible is this thing called Christianity? How credible is this person, Jesus Christ? I mean, is he who he claimed to be? Um, and a lot of us encounter the roadblocks because we've run into Christians who wear the name of Jesus but aren't acting like Jesus. And so then we write the whole thing off. Uh, but yeah, there's, there, there's some kicking the tire, so to speak, thing that comes into play. But after a certain point, you jump because <laughs> you can't... Uh, uh, when you read the New Testament, have you ever wondered this? when you're reading through the New Testament and you see these crowds that witness these miracles, okay? So if what, if what took place, if what's recorded in the New Testament actually took place, I mean, they were seeing some amazing things, lame people getting up and walking, and yet large numbers of them at the end of the day decided, yeah, I don't want to have anything to do with you, Jesus, thanks anyway. It was really cool, the miracle, though. Doesn't that ever floor you that people could actually see something just utterly inexplainable and at the end of the day decide they didn't want to have anything to do with it? So even in the face of something truly miraculous, there's something in us that is still that leap of thing. Other comments, questions? Cajoles? All right, well, let me, let me get your mind thinking around something. And if you want to... At any point, you can, you know, raise, this is one of those class sessions where you can raise your hand and stop the preacher. How often do you get that in church? Really? Come on. <laughs> you do what? Oh, he told you you had a baby. Okay. All right. They're not going to die. I want, I, want to, I want to wade in this morning a little bit, if I may. Because sometimes you have faith that in God, that God's going to do something big. You're believing for a miracle. You want something or someone to be healed. You need God's provision, and you pray, and you have faith, and at the end of the day, it doesn't happen. What do you do with that? How do you handle that? How do you walk that out? Uh, Way back in 1995, 1996, I was finishing up uh, seminary at Asbury Seminary. All my professors were lined up like ducks in a row. Max Vanderpool, you must go on for a PhD. This is God's will for your life. It's clear to us. Um, they had entered me in this silly competition, and I beat out all the guys. An Asbury guy beat out the dudes from Yale, Princeton, Duke. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's pride. Sorry, God. Um, but, and so... Uh, there it was, and one of my backers was the guy who became the historian for the Library of Congress. So, I mean, I had, I mean, it was there on a silver platter for me. 
And so I applied to just two programs. That's all I needed to apply to, according to them. Da, 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 da. We go through the thing. We go through the thing. It's a year-long process. And uh, I submit my paperwork. I've got my backers, you know, the, the, the people who are rec- writing my recommendations, people calling ahead, hey, you need to have this guy in your program. And in that March, uh, on the same day, I got the two letters. Dear Mr. Vanderpool, thank you, no. Dear Mr. Vanderpool, thank you, no. <clears throat> Closed door. So then I spent the next year cleaning toilets in an elementary school, figuring out what God wanted, because I wanted to position myself so I could hear God clearly. Um, and, and so, boom, there it is. Everything had lined up, and I thought there was this God thing, and then it turns out the, it was no. Uh, when we were in a small group at the mothership, the small group that went on forever, and, and I mean, this was a small group that went on five years, which is unhealthy, but that's okay. Um, and so, but we, one of the couples in the group had a little baby boy, little baby boy, Nathaniel. Oh, he was the cutest little guy. Jenny and I had put in the new carpet. Uh, we had just moved in our house, first house, and uh, we had new carpet. And you'll, you'll appreciate this. Little Nathaniel had that thing where he can't keep stuff in his stomach. So he had just eaten, and he... He was about eight months old, and, and he, was, he was crawling or talking. I can't remember how he was moving, okay? So he gets up, and he's, uh, and blah, the whole length of the family room was awesome. Like, didn't even, I mean, he, the one end to the other. But he had this little minor heart thing, a little minor heart, heart, heart condition thing. As a small group, we prayed, and we prayed, and we had faith, and the doctors were like, this is no big deal. This is great. This is a simple procedure, and we're going to correct this. And the little guy died on the operating table. But we had faith, right? Um, and then in the last year, those of you that know, I, I just lost my father to cancer. And when he was first diagnosed, we had the, uh, the attitude and the heart and faith response of, you're going to beat this. We're going to beat this. We're going to beat this cancer. And we prayed. And we had faith. And we believed. And we did all the other stuff. But at the end of the day, the cancer ate up his body. So what do you do when you get to those moments when what you had hoped or believed or had faith for kind of falls flat? What do you do when you have to absorb pain for something that you didn't even cause? It wasn't even your fault. And yet you're going to have to carry the pain and the weight of whatever that something was. I mean, what do you do in those moments? Um, And here's what I've learned the hard way. Control is always, 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 always an illusion that we have control is always an illusion. Um, But just because the outcome isn't the outcome that you and I would want, I don't believe we should abandon faith because of it. Um, And to do that, I I want you to look into the earlier life of a guy we've been talking about uh, over the past several weeks, and his name is Joshua. He was Moses' assistant, remember? Today, we're going to be in the book of Numbers, Numbers 14. This is the young Joshua, not the Joshua who was leading Israel, but the young man, Moses' assistant. Joshua is one of 12 spies. Wouldn't you love to be a spy? I mean, even with the gadgetry of today. I mean, you could probably get an iPad. (laughs) Some of you are like, I'll sign up. (laughs) Does it have a background check? Um, so, So, Joshua young assistant of Moses, is sent out with 11 of his colleagues, 11 clan leaders, 
And the 12 of them go out into this land called Canaan, and they scout things out. They're just getting a lay of the land. Okay, there's a major city here. There's a road that connects this city with that city. Wow, there are some amazing vineyards here. And if you go north a little further, there's a great river. This is where it runs. Okay, so they're, they're getting a lay of the land. And they come back to Moses, and they give a report. And Joshua and one of his friends, Caleb, give the report uh, in numbers, and they say, oh, this is amazing. This land has got great crops and vineyards. There's some good cities that we could inhabit. The, God's going to give us this land, just like he promised. This is, this is slam dunk. Let's go now. Ten... Ten of these clan leaders who went out to scout out the land gave a different report. Remember the report, those of you that grew up Christian, right? Oh, look, there's giants in the land, and it's terrible, and they've got nuclear weapons, and it's, we're going to get crushed, and how could we go against these? These towns are so fortified. The walls are so high. There's no way we'll ever conquer this land. This is not a good idea. Did God really say this? I mean, ugh. and boom. Numbers 14, 34, and this is God's response to it. Because your men explored the land for 40 days, you must wander in the wilderness for 40 years. A year for each day, suffering the consequences of your sin. I, the Lord, have spoken. Verse 36, the 10 men Moses had sent to explore the land, the ones who gave the bad report, were struck dead with a plague. Only... Of the 12 who had explored the land, only Joshua and Caleb remained alive. So over the past few weeks, we've talked about the Joshua who prayed, God, make the sun stand still, and, and God blew down the walls of Jericho, and God stopped up the river so they could cross it. God, the God who does the big things. This same man, when he was younger, got to watch 10 of his friends get struck by a plague because they didn't have faith. And then he wandered around and watched an entire generation of Israelites die off, going from place to place in the desert because they had concluded wrongly that they couldn't count on God. That young Joshua is the, the, the man Joshua that we read about later in the book of Joshua. Kind of gives a little bit of background, doesn't it? To all of a sudden the big... So Joshua is a man who faced disappointment. I mean, how would you feel, right? If you were the one who had faith and everyone else kind of finked out. And now you're having to live out the consequences along with everybody else who didn't have faith. And you're going from place to place. And you just know there's this awesome land because you saw it firsthand. And you believed that God would come through. And yet place after place, year after year, 40 years until you get back to the spot where you can take it. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament writes about this thorn in his flesh, and lots of theologians will speculate, was it a person? Is it a disease? What is it? The kicker thing is, even Paul, with all the faith that he had, couldn't convince God to take it away. God chose not to for whatever reason. Um, and then in Hebrews 11, I want to I read you this section from Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is this big faith chapter in, in the New Testament. Okay? Um, and it, it, it ends this way. 
uh, and it goes about Abraham and, and Isaac and Joseph and Moses and David, and it goes through all the big people who did big, amazing things. And, it, and then it says this in verse 35, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half, and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. Oh, this is really great news. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. Got any pushback yet? Anything you want to ask? Do you find yourself at times where you've prayed and you've believed and you've hoped and you've walked in faith and the door shut or there's a no? Isn't that hard? Of course it is. It's very hard. I want to suggest to you today that it's unwise in that moment to go, well, you know what? I prayed and I believed and I had faith and, and you know what? This doesn't work. I'm just going to take this and I'm going to throw it in the trash can along with all the other stuff I've gotten in life that doesn't work either. Thank you very much. I don't think that's wise to do that. And I want to suggest some things to you. First, and, uh, first, first of all, sometimes, sometimes when it comes to having faith for something big, faith for something impossible, we're wanting God to come through, sometimes we miss it. We miss what God is doing. Sometimes, you know, we're looking and we're seeing A, but it's really C over here. Uh, I shared in, in G-Town a story I heard probably 50 times growing up, and none of them had ever heard it before. So I'm going to share it here. Hopefully some of you who are older and have been in church have heard this story. Uh, and this is the story, because it was in Indiana. There was an Indiana uh, uh, farmer had just a great, 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 ran a great farm. Not just corn, but soybean, and he had some cattle. Not a lot, because you don't do, really do cattle in Indiana. Uh, had three sons. The oldest son thought for sure would take over the farming operation. One day, our, uh, it, the, the, the young buck is out in the fields, and he sees three letters, right, over the cornfield. GPC, GPC, oh, GPC. GPC, go preach Christ, go preach Christ. And the excited, the son goes off to Cincinnati Bible College and he gets trained and then he's off. He goes to New York, he goes to San Francisco, he goes to Dallas where everybody knows Jesus. Then he goes to Istanbul, he goes to Paris, France, London, England. And after 10 long years of evangelizing in city after city without a single convert, he drags his sorry butt home to nowhere, Indiana, back home to dad. And he's sullen, and he's sulking, and he's just utterly devastated. What on earth went wrong? What? I don't know. I'm missing, you know. And one night, the Lord appears to him in a dream. And he's doing a Jacob thing, wrestling with God. He's like, God, I did what you told me to do. GPC, go preach Christ. I went. I went to Istanbul. I went to, I went to Dallas. Everybody, I went. You know what the Lord said to him? GPC, go plant corn. Go plant corn. I put you, you son of a farmer. Go plant corn. It's right over the corn field. How could you miss it? Corn, go plant corn. See, sometimes, sometimes we miss it. 
It happens. You've never heard that one. You guys need to get out in church more often. But sometimes, and this is, this is how it works, sometimes you think an opportunity is, is, you know, it's got God written all over it, and it isn't. I remember about being ready to get on a plane to go close a deal with the church in Pennsylvania. And the reason they wanted me is because I had another graduate degree from Wheaton and blah, 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 and they wanted to do this school. And, and Jenny and I were so convinced that was it. And it was the senior pastor at uh, the mothership of here who cajoled me. And he says, why am I giving you advice to close a deal for a church there when that's what we need here? And I want you to pray about staying, even though I can't pay you. I laughed in his face. And, and then I, I was, and then he pr- pressured me. Would you pray about it, Max? Would you pray about it? And I, I, I'm smart. I said, no, I will not. I'm going to feed my family. I'm going to take this job. You're going to help me get this job. The answer is no. And then he made me feel guilty because I wouldn't pray for something. And so after pressuring me, I agreed to pray. And then when I went home and I told Jenny about it, she's like, that's a really great idea. I was like, what Kool-Aid are you drinking? Okay. And then after praying about it, I was like, boom. Yeah, we're supposed to stay. If I had gotten onto that thing in Pennsylvania, Generations Community Church might not exist today. I mean... And, and so uh, that had, in my mind, God written all over it, but it, it was a GPC thing, okay? So sometimes, sometimes you can miss it. Jenny and I didn't miss it that time. Uh, sometimes, all right, oh, wait, I did the first one over here. Sometimes, sometimes you can miss it, and sometimes when it comes to this faith stuff not working out the way you and I want it to, sometimes it's a years later you have the, oh moment, right? Have you ever had those? Okay, you prayed and you hoped and it was going to be her and it was love forever together. And then 10 years later, you're somewhere and you're like, oh my Lord, I am so glad, (laughs) right? That I said no to her, to him. Okay. Or the house with the, you know, and the, the mortgage vultures who came in and then you talked to mom and dad and they were like, run for your life. And then you realized five, ten years later, oh, my Lord, we would have gone bankrupt. Or, you know, oh, that PhD program I told you about, it, it was five, about five, six years later, I had my, oh, I'm so glad God closed those doors. I wouldn't have loved that. I love being a pastor. I love what God's called me to do. I love, and so I had an, oh, okay, sometimes that happens. Then I want to suggest another alternative. All right? Sometimes, isn't it true? Sometimes the miracle is you. Here's what I mean. I have a friend, Jim. Jim uh, was a pastor until his back condition rendered him unable to be a pastor anymore. Then he taught part-time. And then now the back condition means he's not able to teach part-time anymore. And now he's like, man, I hope I can walk in five years. But when you sit down with him and you talk to him, he is so full of the Holy Spirit. He has this sweet trust. He, he has a settled confidence in God that is just refreshing and convicting all at once. And, and when you walk away, you're like, man, I spent time with Jesus. And that's not even his name. His name's Jim. Okay? Sometimes the miracle is you. You go through something that is so devastating or that was a turn or a no or a closed door or a you know, roof collapse or whatever it was in life and people looking at you 
and they're going, how can you, what is that? That is, I don't get that. That's, you know, shouldn't you be thumbing your nose at God? Shouldn't you be, you know, the Job kind of a thing? Curse God and die now? Sometimes you're the miracle because of your settled confidence, because of your faith in God. Sometimes that's the case. Um, here's, here's what uh, Stephen Furtick puts, and this is what he says. Faith doesn't mean our prayers work all the time. Faith means God is working even when our prayers don't seem to be. Let me say that again. Faith doesn't mean our prayers work all the time. It just means God is working even when our prayers don't seem to be. If I could sit down and have coffee with you, you know what I would love to say to you? Don't stop running. Don't stop believing. Don't stop pushing. Don't, start, don't stop hoping. Don't stop praying. Do not give up. Do not walk away from God. You can count on him. Uncle, uncle, sometimes things don't work out the way you want, the way you hope. I know this. But God is better than, trust me, every single other alternative there is out there to cope with loss and, and twisty turns and things, dreams that don't pan out. Um, so uh, today I wanted to more or less walk through resolute faith. And I wanted, you, I, I wanted to encourage you and encourage me uh, to not stop running uh, because uh, at the end of the day, uh, what I read in here is that God plans to carry the day. Um, I love the way Steve would always say it. He says, I read the end of the book. You know what? We win. <laughs> and, and so there it is. Um, 